Welcome to Talking Property, where you get the inside information into what's going on in the Australian and Asian property markets from leading property and investment experts. Welcome to Australian Property Journal's Talking Property podcast. Uh, today I've got three guests. I've got Jules, Louis and Benson um, joining me for this uh, podcast about Asian investment in Australia. Um, before we start, I wanted to see who wants to go first and introduce themselves to our guests. Uh, I can start first. Sure. Benson, go ahead. Oh, hello, everyone. My name is Benson Zoe. Uh, I work for the leading commercial agency here in Melbourne. Uh, it's a global firm. The name is called Savills. Uh, we're listed in the UK stock exchange market. And at the moment, we have over 600 offices uh, in the world. Um, my role is the state director here for the Asian markets. And in the last 10 years, my predominantly focus is to help Asian capital come into Australia, uh, land settle, um, and also do further in terms of their services, like evaluation, leasing, property management, and extra. That's me. Fantastic. Who wants to go second? Louis, Jules? Go for it, Louis. You're, as you're I'll go next. Okay, well, I'm not as... <laughs> That's a large introduction from Benson, but my name is Luke Vialenti. <laughs> I am an architect, a facade consultant, and a regional manager of Inhabit. We are a facade consultancy firm with 22 offices around the world, and we've just been purchased by Aegis, which is a multinational company with 15,000 staff now. So they deal in multitude of things, and especially infrastructure projects around the world. So that's where we are. My specialization is actually uh, assisting architects and builders to get uh, buildings which are economical, functional and performance wise, uh, and with a very strong bias to sustainability. Mm. That's me. Great. And Jules? Hi, yes, uh, I'm Jules Kay. So I'm the general manager of the Property Guru Asia Property Awards series which we run across 14 markets um, in Asia and Australasia, including yeah. Australia. So uh, we award the best developers, uh, designs, projects across all these multiple markets every year based on what the market is doing and how the different developers are focusing their projects. So we get a good view of what's happening in the region. Uh, we also travel to all these destinations. We have an independent panel of judges in every country to assess the best properties and in Australia two of those judges happen to be Louis and Benson so uh, <laughs> they're the experts that we we lean on for opinions and to judge the best properties in Australia every year so we see some great projects coming through every year. That's a fantastic start guys um, so I guess let's get right into it then the discussion about Asian capital it's always a very interesting topic and talking point amongst property professionals any property investors in Australia is the um, Australia and Asian capital. So we know that um, Australia is emerging uh, again, it, it, you know, in the top favorite lists of countries for Chinese property buyers. Benson, in your role, you've got an intimate knowledge of the investors and the market dynamics and, and you know, and, and property people. What are you hearing and what are you seeing in that? Yeah, um, so my role, um, there's the three sector, which I spend lots of time in effort on, which would be retail market, office market, and hotel market. 
Um, after border reopened, especially from early this year, we start seeing a significant amount of um, migrations from Asia coming in, a lot of overseas students coming back in. Um, the student accommodation market and the hotel and the tourism market has definitely been booming since then. Mm. Um, the last 12 months, last six months, even the last three months, we can definitely see a, a surge in, um, in a very rapid speed. Um, capital in Australia is always, I, I think we don't really need to educate too much because everyone knows Australia is a very safe haven for the money. Mm. Um, a lot of capital, especially in Singapore, um, Malaysia, Hong Kong, China, um, they already acknowledge and recognize the value in Australia. We have a very steady capital growth um, in the last few decades. Therefore, it gives a very good confidence to a lot of the Asian capitals. Um, we recently read a lot of news in China that the sentiment of the property market over there is really struggling. Um, but on the other side of Australia, um, if you go to an auction on the weekend, um, the property clearance rate is over 80%. There's lots of competitions, lots of buyers. The street is still packed, which means there's so many people still wanting to buy assets in Australia, especially the property market. Mm. And this is, we, I, I, I talked about this with uh, Jules and Louis um, earlier about the challenges that the Chinese economy is facing, which is, you know, obviously it's mm. a large economy and the confidence there with the property investors. Do you expect that that kind of the developments that are happening in China will translate to more Chinese buyers looking to buy in Australia again? A hundred percent. Like I was reading the news on the Financial Review this morning. There's an article about uh, at the moment in China, you can get sub 3% interest rate, which mm -hmm. where in Australia we are paying, say, 6.5%, 7%. Yes. Even though the interest rate is so low, uh, but the buyer, the property buyer over there, they just still not confident enough. They worry about there won't be enough capital gain. As you know, in history, Chinese buyer, same as me, you know, I grew up in the culture. We, we are very obsessed about buying properties because we experience the capital gain. Mm. Um, so we taste the sweetness, as you know. Uh, but coming back to Australia, um, the sentiment here is really strong and it's really healthy. Uh, early this year, there's lots of turbulence I would, mm. I would describe it as it is because no one's really know where the inflation goes where no one really knows when the interest rate going to be peaked but now moving into the new financial year which is after july 1st we all know the interest rate is very steady mm. like reserve bank australia they hold the interest rate increase yesterday which is the third time in a row uh, yeah. it gives the buyer lots of good confidence it gives the property developers lots of confidence as well because they can now start to putting the new figures into mm. their construction feasibility. And Benson's obviously got his expertise in across Australia, but, but we were talking about earlier that, you know, the main focuses of Asian investments have been the East Coast. But Louis, you're seeing, you're telling me that you're seeing activity also in the West, uh, West Coast, which is in WA as well? Yes, absolutely. I mean, um, as Benson did mention, um, rental properties are at a premium at the moment uh, around Australia, especially in, on the East Coast and, Australia, and in the West Coast. So we're seeing a lot of people are getting into the market and they want to rent. There's not mm. a lot of stock in the marketplace, so prices are skyrocketing. With that, there has been a draw for residential development. 
Perth um, is a mining-driven city. A lot of the uh, wealth that comes into Western Australia and through us to Australia is generated from mining exports. So with yep. that, there's a big draw for personnel and professionals to go into the mining sector. So there's a um, professional migration into WA who go into those sectors and they expect quality um, um, uh, residential buildings to go into. Mm. The difference with Perth and the East Coast is we are still a residential uh, home building area. We don't have a lot of um, need for apartments. People still buy houses and separate separate houses over mm. here. So to move into apartments is a lifestyle choice. And so when our developments happen for apartments, they're not normally studio one-bedroom apartments. They're normally larger uh, apartments for families to move into or empty nesters to move into. So with that, there is a lot of draw from developers from China to come down and to buy properties and invest in those developments as well, as well as a lot of um, Chinese money buying um, CBD lots and properties mm. um, for hotel developments, um, office developments. Um, they're a little bit um, slower to kick off than maybe the residential because of the, the the draw to get office space to be filled in and and hotel um, chains to take up those those developments. So they're a little bit slower, but on the residential side, it's really strong. Another market that is growing in Western Australia is the student market, uh, student accommodation, and yes. build to rent. And mm. that's the growth pattern because of the the high rents. So developers are actually trying to get involved in that now. So they'll have the asset for 20 to 30 years and have a guaranteed rental sort of like stream through that asset. That's and I... Sorry, I, I wanted to also ask Jules. So I know Property Guru has a presence across the ASEAN or Asian region. Um, what are you hearing from your colleagues or, or, or people in the Property Guru space when it comes to feedback from Chinese investors and Asian capital in general looking into Australia? Yeah, I think, you know, what, what we've noticed is definitely a resurgence in interest um, mm-hmm. from, from Chinese buyers across especially across Southeast Asia. But I think, you know, one of the things I noted is I think I've, I read recently as well that Australia has actually taken over um, from Thailand as one of wow. the crops okay. uh, for Chinese investment interest, which um, is very interesting because Thailand wasn't, you know, it's one of our key markets. <clears throat> I think one of the reasons for that is that we're seeing also a change in, a shift in the sort of reason for investment. This is more on the, you know, not so much on the commercial front, but on the residential right. front. That people used a lot of Chinese investors used to look purely for investment opportunities, and as Benson said, it's in the DNA, right? Uh, but yes. I think since things have changed slightly back home, they also have a bit of a longer-term view, and we've mm. seen this, we've seen a shift in um, the reasons for investment and the types of pro- property that are being looked at across our platforms by Chinese um, investors in Asia. And I think that's probably the same. Seems to be the same in Australia that there we mentioned earlier education, you know. And perhaps a longer term approach, first or even second homes. Um, there's a shift from condos to housing mm. in a lot of parts of um, of Southeast Asia with regard to these investors. So, and I think worth mentioning also that we there's a, there's a direct correlation between how comfortable um, certain Asian countries investors are with foreign markets, and there's a long 
established connection between China and Australia and also Singapore, Malaysia, because there are actually developers from those countries that have been, you know, creating very high quality developments in Australia. Um, Absolutely. Yes. There's a knowledge there and a trust uh, that there's an established um, development. It's it's often, I find that um, the people or the developers I speak to have often studied in Australia before they were yeah. students or they yeah they, they have had businesses here and then they've gone back home so it's that familiarity uh, exactly. Australia is almost like a second home to them isn't it exactly and then you know you look mm-hmm. say Thailand has been the tourism that's driven um the investment and then I think in Australia it's more the education right the, the, yes. in the, the first so and that's still there and I think Benson mentioned that Chinese particularly have been coming back since things have opened up um, so that would naturally create a knock-on effect with regard to investment interest. Mm. And that's probably why we're seeing a spike. Now, I want to ask Benson about the types of developments or the types of investment appetites we're looking at from you know Asian investors. Obviously, the cores we know, industrial, retail, offices. But are investors from Asia looking at the rise of the alternative real estate in Australia with, you know, the medical centers, the social, the life sciences, healthcare, aged care, built to rent even? Are they looking at all these different investments? Well, first of all, built to rent as 100% offshore capital. So mm-hmm. uh, majority of them are from either from US, like Greystar, or from U- Europe, or either mm-hmm. from Asia. Um, industrial, not too many. We do see some Singaporean capital coming to buy um, industrial site. For example, um, Fraser's. Fraser's is a perfect example. They are very big in terms of industrial development. Um, Medical is very niche market. So far, we don't see many Asian capitals coming in and specializing in the medical sector. Mm. Yeah, residential is also residential, retail, and office, Mm. uh, and hotel, of course. So those four sectors are the uh, traditional um, the best performing where Asian capital coming to Australia, they're willing to buy. Yeah. So I, I guess the other thing too is looking at the state by state. We, you know, we talked about mm. this before uh, Louis mentioned WA. And uh, so in terms of foreign buyer activity, um, which are the states or which are the cities that, we're, that, we're, that they're focusing in on um, when they come to Australia? Yeah. Well, I do cover the whole Eastern seaboard market. So, Melbourne, like Joe mentioned, it's it's more about education. Yeah, um, Sydney is a, it's it's a bigger city, as you know, it's a busy city. There's lots of opportunities mm-hmm. there. Um, if you're kissing the financial market, I think Sydney would be definitely the place to go. Um, Gold Coast, Queensland, you know, it's a lifestyle things. Mm-hmm. You got nice sunshine, the beach every day. You know, it's never too cold. It's never windy. You got lots of water. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it people go there for sort of reasons here. Yeah, so in terms of that, we looked at in the first quarter in New South Wales, there was a, this year, sorry, in the first quarter this year in New South Wales, there was a jump in residential activity. I think New South Wales accounted for 16.2% of all sales. But in Victoria, the it's, you know, fallen to a two-year low of just 4%. Do you have any insight into why that's happening? And New South Wales is now gaining, you know, or, or gaining more of that share of the foreign buyers? Well, I guess it's more about the supply and demand. The construction mm-hmm. cost is really challenging for all the property developers now that are in the market. Um, 
there's a, there's a topic I hear pretty much every day is about affordability. You know, that lots of student accommodation built to rent coming up in the city, in any city, um, because Melbourne got more land compared with Sydney. So uh, our demand and supply, um, it's, it's, it used to be pretty healthy, but now because of lack of new constructions, uh, our, our demand is getting higher because our population grows, but our supply is, is historically low at the moment. If you come into the CBD, you probably only see one or two cran working. Back to old days, you probably see 15, 20. It's mm-hmm. a significant amount of um, dropping in terms of new building coming up. Um, Sydney, as I said to an international buyer coming to Australia, traditionally they will start looking at Sydney and Melbourne first. So most of the family, um, the first property they will buy when they come to Australia, it will be nearby for their, for their children's education. I want to hear from also Jules and Louis what your thoughts are on, you know, Asian capital coming in. We're, yeah. we're expecting that that will increase or Chinese investment in Australia is going to increase this year uh, and the year going forward. Uh, we talked about the state-by-state state breakdown. Now, I want to hear sort of from your uh, view where you think that they will go to uh, when they, you know, when they uh, come to Australia. If I, if I can just go back onto the, the west coast of Australia again, because yeah. it does know the east coast very, very well. I mean, in the in the west, it basically is, I think what, what Benson said was important that Chinese investors especially their children may have studied in Australia, be it on the mm. East Coast or West Coast, and then they normally stay or bring their families back or, or as well because they, the lifestyle and the safety and the fact you can have a, an outdoor lifestyle is very important, what we find. Mm. So what happens normally is they may have one small investment and then that will grow, the family will invest into a larger investment and then maybe into another larger investment. So they'll start going from residential, maybe into commercial properties as well. So they diversify into that. Um, So that sort of market. And from what we see, there's a lot of um, Chinese money in large parcels of commercial properties. But as I said earlier, those ones, they normally hold the asset for uh, growth, and sometimes they develop those assets depending on the market call for um, office take or whatever and, and the rates they're getting for for vacancies. Mm. Um, and once again, that's an economy-driven thing as well. Um, I think also added to what we were said earlier, during COVID and post-COVID, the, because supply chains were very slow post-COVID and we've had the knock-on of inflation and knock-on of construction costs, Yes. There's been like a three or four fold increase in costings because of all the knock on factors. So we're in that stage now where it was such a very short incline of costs to build. Uh, also added to that in the West, we are we import basically everything. We don't really make much over here. So the cost even increased again because all the transport costs on top of that again. So the market has had to adjust and recalibrate with this new norm of pricing. And that's why it's taken a while to actually stabilise. There's right. been a lot of developments which were designed pre-COVID or during COVID, which once they got the cost ends back, blew their development budgets up to 100%. So right. they got shelved or had to get reassessed. 
Now there's been a recalibration of, of prices to cater for the new costs because they won't go down. This is the new norm now. The mm. price is reset. So I think the market and developers are understanding that, changing their price points for the market. And, um, yeah, I think that's the way it's going. So when it comes back to the investment into from Chinese developers, I think I know what I see is um, is the family and the and the corporations coming in and buying up properties and doing it together. And I think it's actually on on a very steady course of growth. I don't think we see a very um, uh, exponential growth for us in Perth. It's a very it's a measured steady growth, which I think is better for the marketplace as well. Mm. Jules, when when the Chinese or the Asian investors are searching for property in Australia, you know, property gurus got all this, uh, the platforms that engage them into the country. Where are they looking most uh, when they want to come into the, uh, you know, into the market in Australia? But I think there's still, I mean, from our perspective, and we, I mean, we don't list all the destinations in Australia on property gurus because we're very much focused on Southeast Asia. But where we do connect is more with regard to um we have we have a few china solutions offerings where we connect with agents up there and we yes. also have the awards that actually run from china all, all the way down to australia mm. and well, i mean if you look at the the awards side where we're actually on the ground there awarding developers and, and and interest it's pretty much balanced i think there's more properties probably entering um and available in melbourne um because of the land and i think sydney is now we've seen this year uh, a lot more entries in that luxury and ultra luxury bracket in Sydney. So I think yes, it, it probably depends on again what we were saying, what kind of investment they're looking at. Um, so Sydney will attract your luxury investors, and uh, Melbourne perhaps more still connected to your education, but with there's more mixed use opportunities there, uh, different types of lifestyle offering. Whereas uh, Sydney, I think yeah, definitely going up market there. We've seen that. Um, bear in mind, I did want to just say also, you know, that we run. The awards in China, yes. and, and Benson was saying, you know, there is obviously this uh, lack of potential lack of confidence that could drive some interest out. Uh, but we, we have recently seen more interest coming back from developers in China um, to try and um, raise their profile. So the, there is a bit of a movement there. I mean, this is a very early stage, and the government's been investing a bit, uh, supporting the industry, and there does seem to be a bit more development in china because we're getting more entries into our wards this year than we did in the last three years yeah thing as well and what what about in australia you've also got the property guru uh asia property awards the australian one um what has that been like can you tell us just about that i mean you know yeah well we've seen steady growth we've we've seen steady growth in the the entries into the awards over the last three four years and this year is the biggest so far uh, right, and there's a reason they're called the Asia Property Awards is uh, because you know the developers that enter uh, are either selling to Asian investors or are already Asian developers themselves or joint ventures. So that gives you a good indication that the uh, there's a solid growth in particularly Asian development in Australia and Asian interest in Australia, and and that also includes a large percentage of Chinese um, developers who have won our awards based in. Australia, but with with Chinese investors. So, I think yeah, it's a definite growth on both sides on on the supply side um, through Asian investment and also on the demand side. So, I think it's definitely uh, the pipeline is there for continued growth from Asia to from the investors. We we looked at the Foreign Investment Review Board uh, report 
you know, year on year, they release it and shows how much activity. And obviously, we've seen the decline in Chinese investment since the peak of, well, I can't remember now. <laughs> My memory is not that great. Uh, the peak where we saw Chinese investment reach, I think at one point it exceeded the US. Um, mm. Do you think we'll ever return to that, um, to that, you know, that scenario again where Chinese investment will come into Australia? I mean, obviously, we, we know there's capital restrictions and all these things. But will we see the same level of demand come back into Australia? Because when they were here, they helped bring forward so many projects because they were able to buy and developers were able to push ahead with projects um, with the Chinese uh, investment in here. Oh, I can take that question. Sure. Um, I caught up with our head of um, industrial and logistic uh, back in several Shanghai. Um, yeah. What I've been told by her Whereas there are a lot of new capitals wanting to come into Australia from China, right. um, but they find it a bit challenging at the moment. Right. Um, the main reason is that they FERB approval. So before COVID, which is 2020, um, right. July, um, any amount under $55 million, you don't need to approve for FERB approval. Mm. Um, so that was a new policy um, being applied afterwards, after COVID. I think the main reason, my reading is, uh, Australian government trying to um, protect or sort of stress the asset or companies yeah. um, to being snapped by offshore capitals. Um, that hasn't changed until today, which I do think uh, this is something for the Australian government to relook at it. You know, we're going to show the foreign investors Australia is a very friendly country. You know, we're very proud of because we have multicultural. You know, a lot of overseas students, you know, parents sending their kids here for education, migrate here, and then contributed back to the Australian community. So mm. I think the FERB policy from $0, that should be re-looked into it, given the COVID is now over. Mm. Um, the foreign capital wants to come in um, and we need to have a policy, uh, I think, which should be more friendly, in my opinion. Do you think, the the for example, the foreign hold tax or the different taxes that the state governments that, that I mean, they're still existing, but do you think it's something It's something that we should probably do away now, um, you know, considering we're in such a, yeah, <laughs> we're facing such a housing supply crisis right now that we, we probably do need the additional investment um, from overseas to help, you know, bring forward these projects and get them going? Yeah, I definitely agree. But if you look yeah. at a global scale, uh, our stamp duty is not the highest. Like, okay. for example, Singapore. Singapore is a lot higher than Australia. Right. You know, we got okay. we got our neighbor country, New Zealand. New Zealand is higher than Australia. So we are still at an affordable level, um, okay. which I don't think fundamentally that shouldn't stop um, Chinese or Asian investor coming to Australia to buy a property. Mm-hmm. Okay. I guess now we want to look at sort of the second half of this year. Um, we're already in September as we're talking. Um, earlier... Jules mentioned that Australia has now overtaken Thailand as the number one spot um, for Chinese investment. And the US uh, is now second place behind Australia. Um, so in terms of looking at what, you know, what the appetite is going to be, are we expecting it to be consistent in the year ahead or in the second half and the year ahead? or will, And will there be enough pipeline or enough uh i suppose investments available <laughs> to meet that to meet that uh appetite in australia 
I think in terms of available investment, yeah. I mean, as I mentioned from the awards point of view, we, mm. we're seeing a lot of new uh, properties available that, that enter because um, that's obviously a benchmark for the market activity. There's a lot of a lot of new properties available. They they want to enter the awards. They want to be recognised. They want to market their properties internationally. Mm. So there, there's definitely inventory there to be bought. Uh, so that that's not not a problem. I think from an Australian point of view, yeah, Benson and perhaps Louis can talk to some of the um, the blockers. Uh, but there's also the fact I think I think from one of your I think I read one of your articles on one of one media in Australia, 2.6 trillion in deposits that the Chinese household, households have amassed mm. in 2022. So there, there's still uh, there's a lot of capital to be spent mm. as well. So. Absolutely, yes. We, we do. Sorry, okay. oh, we do see a lot of Chinese money coming here, but also don't forget, like especially in Melbourne, there's lots of Indian family migrating to Australia. At the yes. moment, uh, Indian migration is more than Chinese, and yes. they are kind of dominating the whole western suburb of Melbourne. Um, yes. The housing is still very affordable. You know, you can buy a house and land package, say three bedroom. Um, you own the land; it's freehold land. There's no 99 years for say five hundred thousand mm. dollars. That's still very, very affordable um, um, compared with uh, other Asia countries in the Asia pack. Mm. That's what I was going to add on to. Sorry, from what I'm hearing is, yes, you mentioned about the Chinese having a high a few years ago and it's dipping down. I think that's also a product of other diversification of other investors in the Australian market. Mm-hmm. Um, like like Benson said, the Indian market has grown. There's also the Singapore market. There's also the Malaysian market um, buying into, as well as the American and the, and the English market sort of buyers as well. So there is a lot more competition now in the marketplace for properties too. So um, everyone's sort of like thinking about how they can invest in Australia to make that profit and because it is a great investment. It is. Uh, and, and we look at these two and you, you mentioned these countries and, you know, we have to add uh, Indonesia too. That's, you know, in our doorstep. Um, you know, we've got these major capital sources um that are just at the doorstep of Australia. You've got Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, China, India, and they're all competing, and to an extent, Japanese capital as well, um, looking to, um, you know, looking at, at the Australian market all the time. Um, it, it it sort of puts it in the sense, I suppose, for our future of investment, um, it, it puts us in a good stead or in a good position that we've got all these uh, capitals from other from other countries and i can tell you the performance um from other countries let's say america singapore um korean super fund japanese they are all super super active at the moment in australian property market Mm. and i guess now when we we talked about you know the appetite um coming into the second year on the resi side what i want to look at also is the commercial property side um, where are we seeing the uh, the most demand for Benson uh, when you talk to the investors in the Asia region? Yeah, uh, retail um, with the blue chip tenants, um, okay. the national tenants, it's still going to be very appealing to a lot of um, overseas investors. Office market, it will struggle for a while. Mm. Um, there's lots of reason behind it. I can talk to you in the next episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> Definitely, yeah. 
hotel market is very strong at the moment. There's lots of new hotels opening in Australia. Um, the occupancy rate is absolutely booming. Um, mm. There's lots of lots of events, activities. Um, for example, Taylor Swift coming to Australia. Yeah. They're actually going to drive heavily on our GDP. Yes. You'd be surprised. All the tickets being sold out, all the hotel accommodation being booked out. And there will be you know, millions of people coming to Australia for uh, watching this and plus the holiday in Australia. Yes. So oh, that's, that's really fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's an important point because, like I said before, the same in Southeast Asia with regard to, you know, the tourism and events and things that attract different nationalities to countries also spark more investment, you know, in the long term in the, in the hotel sector, in the commercial sector, because that's when they see regular, um, consistent, you know, demand for their, for their products. So, and we, and we are seeing a return of that definitely in Thailand and, and sounds similar in, in Australia in that trend and that does eventually reflect in in more investment across residential as well i think mm. yeah. and what we're seeing also now is the the demand for luxury travel too obviously there's been a lot of now the emergence of six star type developments now majority so far we've seen in sydney so there's that luxury travel market that is now emerging coming into australia too you know we've always always thought that five star was the, the best but no overseas they, they've got six stars and but now that's emerging in australia too the ultra luxury market uh, of travel I, I just want to bring up one very mm. uh like kind of my personal observation sydney yes. and melbourne market they are the product fundamentally is very different sydney yes. is like hong kong people mm. pay premium for the view for the water mm. view Mm. But in Melbourne, we we don't sell apartments based on the view. It's like a Singapore. You know, you're living in a condo. It's a location. It's a metro. It's mm. a lifestyle surrounding amenities. Mm. No one's really in Melbourne paying money for the view. Mm. Yes. So that's, the product is very, very different. Mm. And that's what I was saying about the Perth market as well. It is a different market than the East Coast because – a baseline is a lot higher when it comes to multi-high residential condo developments, mm-hmm. and most of those are on the beaches. Uh, away from, it's like the Gold Coast idea: put the big apartments on the beach, and some in the CBD as well. But people do want the views over the river or over the um, the ocean, mm-hmm. and with that, they're willing to pay that price, but expected more bang for the buck. And when it comes to our developments. It's not just it, – it's all the amenity now that's been designed within those de, those residential developments, which is actually adding and driving clientele. And it's how you discern your design and your offer gets the people to move in or buy properties. That's what is important. And that's what we're finding – sorry, just if I go back to the Asian Property Awards, the Property Guru Awards, is that what we do see is the diversity in all the offers around the, the countries – but there's also an understanding of what's working in different regions and then developers have been savvy enough to understand what works and what doesn't work. So our Chinese developers might see something working in Sydney and go, well, why can't I do that in Perth as well or why can't I do that in, in Bangkok? So there's also yeah. this intersection of ideas, which is very important and that's something I think the Property Guru Awards actually facilitates so well. And that's what we see, the growth in the markets expanding and knowing their market, be it Perth, Sydney, Melbourne, 
or whatever. It's actually knowing what to offer to get that sale. Hmm. So I, I, I want to now obviously move to looking at our, your, uh, we've talked about, you know, what we can expect as trends, but from your unique positions that you sit in your own roles, what are your outlook, your personal outlooks for the year ahead? Um, who would like to take that first? I'm happy to. Yeah, Vincent, go ahead. Um, I've spoken lots of um, equity institutional um, companies. They, they're all quite confident in the next year, say the second half and moving mm. onwards. The market will t- start turning into a very, very positive way. Um, we got a very sustained growth forecasting on the population. Um, there will be, at the moment, the built-to-rent market is very strong. But mm-hmm. we do see in 12 to 24 months, it will start turning back into the beauty sale market. Right. And okay. because we, at the moment, with, the, with lots of new population growth, obviously we need more accommodation. Mm. And the affordability, the supply, uh, it, it has to come back. And I, that's a good point. I think, you know, I, I looked at the re- reports that, you know, in Victoria alone, there's going to be another 2 million people uh, that will be added or will come, you know, the population will grow by 2 million to 6.8 million. So definitely the, the demand for housing is not going anywhere and it's not going to wane or slow down in, in Victoria. Yeah, absolutely. Like uh, the government is spending lots of money on the infrastructure at the moment. There's, mm-hmm. uh, there's a few new railway being built, you know, from the southeast, west to the north, um, which I can definitely think they do forecast, you know, there'll be a huge population coming to Melbourne, especially because we've got lots of land. Um, they want to build the right infrastructure to support that. Mm, mm. We're building a new tunnel for the, uh, the Western Link. Because previously, it's just a bridge. There's always a traffic jam if you go there in the morning. Now they've been a new tunnel to help to relieve the stress on the um, public transportation. Mm. And Louis, what's your outlook for the your personal outlook from your discussions with people and 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 also in your professional, um, yes, you know, work? What's your outlook for the year ahead? Well, for the year ahead, I see a sustained growth uh, in the in the residential market. Um, because when we are on a growth pattern for population, I think I read one of the government documents, I think 2050, they're saying a population will increase by another million. Right. That'll get us up to 3.5 in Perth, Greater Perth. Mm. So we will be getting up that side. I mean, the draw has been going for um, greenfield sites along the coast, and our infrastructure has been growing at an enormous rate to cater for that. We've got, I'm on about, 12 train stations around town at the moment, new train lines, all these new facilities happening for the growth of the population. I think what will happen in Perth and maybe not next year or the next second half of the year is is, is future is infill into the uh, existing fabric because we can't keep going out. We need to start thinking infill closer and going up. And I think that is with the more population that's what's going to happen. So in the next six months or second half of next year, it's sustained growth. Right. I think our commercial sector is still flat, and that's the, the truth there. Mm. But it's going to be the push for us in the short term is build the rent and also the build to, build to sell will, will increase as well, as Benson said. Uh, retail, um, we're not seeing a lot of major big retail development at the moment. Feasibility is a bit tight with the cost to build. 
um, but there is there is constant planning for new centres, mixed-use nodes to be put in with um, infrastructure, and that's our growth pattern as well. Some of that Asian cities do so well with their mixed-use nodes. We don't really do it that well in Australia, so now they mix in the residential, the shopping, the transport, all and work all together now, so that's the next phase of going mm. to the middle term. And uh, Louis, just very quickly too, I know you've got a sustainability uh, background yes. there. You work a lot in that. What is the appetite for, um, you know, for developments, uh, whether it's commercial or resi, to incorporate more sustainability? Are buyers driving it or developers saying, okay, this is something that we need to, you know, resp- uh, respond to? Uh, this is what buyers want now. Absolutely. It's, it's coming from all angles. Mm-hmm. The new building codes of Australia do have incre- have increased their um, performance ratings for buildings, be it residential and commercial. So it's a high um, sustainability input now. Um, there's also a marketplace for residential to be uh, high, uh, green star, high green star approved. So that, and there's also from the sustainability side and recycling side, we're seeing buildings with higher materials which can be recycled or come from recycling. So it's coming from all sides. The government is very strong in its push. Mm. And I think there's a general sentiment amongst buyers who want more sustainability in the buildings, be it an average house in, in, a, in a greenfield site or apartments or place they work. They Officers now, if they don't have high green star uh, credentials ratings, tenants won't move into them. Yes, yeah, won't yeah. move into them at all. It's a it's it's a trend that is now. I think, uh, uh, sorry, it's a challenge now for the B and C grade office uh, owners uh, or landlords. Yeah. Is that yeah? What do they do? Because a tenant now will not move into anything that's less than five star. Um, so, yeah, and, and we're we're working on buildings which are carbon neutral buildings. Mm. So there's a big push for that as well in the marketplace now. And mm. buildings which can generate their own energy or or sagate energy or carbon as well. So that's the other thing we're trying to get into. In mm. mm. that sense, I think if I, yeah, you know, from our regional awards program, like as Louis mentioned, this is when we get an opportunity actually to kind of show. Promote, yeah. Yeah, yeah show and promote what's going on in Australia. Because, you know, basically if you look across Asia, You've got sort of Singapore, Philippines are, are quite strong on, on sustainability and certification. Uh, yeah. But everybody looks to, to Australia really as an example. And we get to showcase some amazing, like these carbon neutral properties and, and just the level um, you know, of commitment to sustainability is, is impressive in Australia. And I think that's, that's a really good lesson and it's a good sharing uh, for some of the other countries in, South, you know, in Southeast Asia when they get to mix with developers from Australia and learn more what's going on there. So that's one of the areas we've definitely seen movement um, in the right direction <laughs> over the last yes. couple of years. And, and that is something that Australia is definitely at the forefront of. So that, that's great. Yeah, I, I, I have seen um, Korea, in South Korea, send delegations to Australia to learn more about our carbon neutral buildings too, because mm. it's something that the South Koreans are keen to adopt, obviously in Seoul and, and other uh, main cities in South Korea. Um, but Jules, I'll let you have the last say. Um, what is your outlook for the year ahead? Well, we're very positive. From, this is our big, we're, we're 5x in terms of the number of entries in Australia this year. So <laughs> that's really good news. So we're feeling mm. very confident that the Australian market is going to be one of the 
areas where particularly for our age of property awards is going to keep growing uh so you know benson and louis are going to have a hard time in about a week or so when they have to go through all the entries and judge the winners but that's a that's a, a nice problem to have so yeah we're very confident that the, the australian market and the connections with asia uh, whether it be china singapore malaysia indonesia will continue to grow and strengthen and i think that's that's a great advantage for everybody and, and it's also you know, great for us because that's where we operate across the borders. So feeling very, very positive about the, the Australian market. Yeah. That's fantastic. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for joining me. I, I really uh, like this, um, this program or this podcast episode with the three of you sharing your insights in the Asian markets. I know often when we talk at Australian Property Journal, we always talk about Australian property, but it's great to have perspectives from the region in Asia, which is, uh, uh, you know, so many different countries and such big population and a lot of capital as well. So thank you very much for joining me at Australian Property Journal's uh, Talking Property Podcast. And I hope I will have you back in the near future as my guests. Thanks, Nelson. Thanks, Nelson. Thank you.